just to review, 2 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy. And at the time of this letter's writing, Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's expecting that sometime soon he will be executed. And that's exactly what eventually happens. Timothy, meanwhile, is in the city of Ephesus. Paul had left him there to rid the church in Ephesus of false teaching. We'll see that in this passage this morning. And of course, that was not an easy task. What is 2 Timothy all about? Well, as we've seen, as the title of the series suggests, the theme is endurance, Christian endurance. I'm not talking about endurance, physical endurance that you need to, to run a marathon or something like that. We're talking about uh, that, inner, that inner strength that comes from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And so Paul encourages Timothy in this letter to, to endure when, when life and ministry get difficult. And of course, we also today need endurance. Life for us gets difficult at times, whether it's some sort of physical uh, affliction, whether it's the adversity of life, we need endurance. It's not always easy to be a follower of Jesus. And so there's a message in here for us, not just Timothy, but us, about endurance. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at how Paul wanted Timothy to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus, chapter 2, verse 3. And we know, of course, to be a soldier is a difficult task. It requires courage. Uh, it requires strength. And those things did not come from uh, Timothy himself, but again, from God, from the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's difficult, but the message to Timothy was that this is something that is worthwhile, worthwhile service. So another reason to endure. So when you think about a book like Second Timothy, as I have stated before, it's not one that is often preached through on a Sunday morning. And that's because uh, this is one of the pastoral epistles, as they're called. First and Second Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral, uh, pastoral epistles. And so we think that these are just for people like Timothy or Titus, people who are church leaders, people who are uh, really involved in preaching and teaching God's word. And of course, not everyone in the church does those things to the level that Timothy and Titus did. Uh, so you might think it's just applicable to someone perhaps like me or John, someone really who is uh, leading uh, in the church. But obviously, if that were the case, or if I believe that were the case, I wouldn't be preaching through Second uh, Timothy uh, here over these last few weeks and the weeks to come. So I do believe that there is a message. It is applicable to, to all believers. Obviously, it's, it's a little more applicable to some, but it is applicable, I believe, to all. Uh, Paul, later on in verse 24, uh, uses the term, the Lord's servant. And in this context, Paul, when he talks about the Lord's servant, is talking about, to be honest, someone who is serving by 
preaching and teaching the word of God, leading the church. Uh, That's what he means by the Lord's servant here. But of course, there is another sense in which every Christian is a servant of the Lord. We are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're all servants of the Lord. We've all been given the Holy Spirit. He has gifted us in certain areas in which we can serve the Lord and one another. So we are all servants of the Lord. Uh, Timothy was a servant in a certain sense, but we're all servants of the Lord. So can we... Uh, can the rest of us get, get something out of these verses? I believe so. Uh, there's actually a lot in this passage, I believe, that's applicable to every Christian. And there are two, two phrases in this passage that I really want to focus on this morning. The first phrase is found in, in verse 15. Rightly handling the word of truth. That's the first phrase. And then the second phrase is found in verse 25, where Paul says, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So rightly handling the word of truth, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So in those two phrases, I see two implications, you could say, about what should matter most to Christians. Now, Paul isn't explicitly saying this. This is why I said implications. Uh, But these are two things we can gather, we can say, based on what Paul tells Timothy in these verses. So, what should matter most to Christians? If you were to write a list about what should matter most to us, to us as individual believers, or especially to us as a church, what, what would you put at the top of the list? What should matter most to us? What would be the top two things on that list? What should matter most to us? I'm going to share two this morning based on those two phrases. The first thing that should matter most to us is truth. Truth matters. Let's look again at verses 14 and 15. Again, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, remind them And them here probably refers to the faithful men mentioned in verse 2. Entrust what Timothy had had heard from Paul to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So verse 14, remind them, those men, of these things, the things that Paul has just been talking about, about enduring and and, uh, being willing to... to, uh, courageously serve the Lord, remind them of these things and and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. And you'll see this come up three times, three similar statements that that Paul gives Timothy, not to quarrel about words or things that that are really less important, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only, uh, only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So Paul tells Timothy what to, to charge these men not to do, 
not to quarrel about words. And we don't know exactly what Paul was talking about when he says, don't quarrel about words. Timothy knew. But again, it's probably something that, you know, was not as important as really what matters most. And uh, I forgot the original, the original uh, point I was going to make. I skipped over it. And it, it probably sounds like a kind of a, a silly statement, an obvious statement. But the, the statement is this, what matters most matters most. Uh, obviously, that's true. What matters most matters most. But sometimes what matters most doesn't matter most to us. We get, we get sidetracked on, on lesser things and we forget about what matters most. So number one, the truth matters. The truth should be really at the top of that list. So, so don't quarrel about words, Paul says. That's what you're not to do. And then in verse 15, Paul tells Timothy what uh, he should do. What should he do? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. How, do, how does he do that? By rightly handling the word of truth. Now, what is the word of truth? You might say, well, it's the word of God, of course, but I think specifically it's the gospel. Paul uses this phrase in Colossians 1.15 and Ephesians 1.13 where he talks about the word of truth and then right after that he says, I'm referring to the gospel. So he's talking about the gospel, rightly handling the word of truth, which is the gospel. So what does it mean to rightly handle the word of truth? In hockey, you might Talk about being a good stick handler in basketball, a good ball handler. Those are physical things. This is more of a, a mental thing. If you have a good handle on something, it means you, you really, in your mind, you, you understand it. And maybe you're able to explain it or teach it to someone else. So to have a right handle on the word of truth is to, is to understand it correctly or rightly and to be able to share it, pass it on to others, uh, teach it and preach it, and so on. So, rightly handling the word of truth, which is the gospel. Let's continue on, verses 16 through 19. But avoid irreverent babble. Again, things that are not as important as the gospel. But avoid irreverent babble, babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread, spread like gangrene, among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus, Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, and this is a quote from the book of Numbers, Two quotes, actually. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. We're not actually going to get into that background, but there was that division within the people of God when they were in the wilderness. There was the rebellion of Korah against Moses, and the, and the Lord showed who were his people and, and who were not, and there was judgment. And so... Paul ends with those words of assurance that the Lord knows who those who are his. 
as Timothy is facing opposition from people who are not holding to the truth. So there were in that church in Ephesus people who were teaching false doctrine. We would call them false teachers. And Paul says in verse 17 that their talk will spread like gangrene. Now, I don't know if you've had any experience with this. Uh, I wouldn't recommend Googling gangrene. I did that, and, you know, it's not a, not a pleasant thing, gangrene. Uh, it's obviously unhealthy, and Paul in the other uh, pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, Titus, he talks about sound doctrine. The word sound means healthy. So this is healthy doctrine or teaching the truth, the word of truth. But false teaching is like gangrene. It's, it's unhealthy. It's destructive. Destroys the body. Destroys the church. And of course, it spreads. Gangrene, it spreads throughout the body. And false teaching can spread throughout the church. And so Paul is, is writing this letter to encourage Timothy to, to endure, to keep on working to rightly handle the word of truth and to stop the spread of false teaching in the church because truth matters. In verse 17, he names two of the false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus is actually mentioned in 1 Timothy 1, verse 20. He had been dealt with before, but it seems like he's still a problem in the church. Paul says that they have swerved from the truth. Swerved from the truth. Now, how does someone swerve from the truth? We need to be, I think, careful about how we use that term, swerving from the truth. Paul is talking about about swerving from truth that is essential to the gospel. Truth that is essential to the gospel. You know, all truth matters, but not all truth equally matters. Some truth is more important. The truth that is is essential to a right understanding of the gospel is the most important truth. And so uh, these two men had swerved from the truth. They were were teaching things that uh, were false, that connected to uh, the gospel. So as I was thinking about this this week, I thought about how there are different levels of beliefs. And maybe if I had more time to spend on this, maybe I'd refine this a bit. Uh, But three levels of belief. First, there are, of course, there might be a, a lowest just silly beliefs that maybe Paul is referring to with irreverent babble and quarreling about words. But talking more about, you know, valid things to, to, uh, to debate and believe. The first is debatable beliefs. You know, there could be a lot uh, of examples of debatable beliefs, things that we might even in our own church, we might, you know, disagree on. We might have different beliefs uh, regarding 
various doctrines. You know, you often think about eschatology, the, our beliefs on uh, things regarding the future. You might think about um, the rapture of the church or the second coming. And uh, within this church, uh, there are different beliefs on that, you know, when that might happen and how to exactly uh, interpret the book of, of Revelation. So these are debatable things. And we can still uh, fellowship together as a church, even though we, we uh, might hold different views on some of these doctrines. Uh, the second level of belief is what I call beliefs that are vital for worshiping together. So beliefs that Christians might differ on that, you know, make it very difficult to be fellowshipping together as a church. You might think of baptism. You might think about how Presbyterians baptize uh, children who have not yet made a profession of faith. Now, they don't believe that that saves them. There are evangelical Presbyterians, uh, but they have a very different view on baptism. We believe in believer's baptism, that you shouldn't baptize someone until after they make a profession of faith in Christ. Uh, now, we wouldn't say, or at least I wouldn't say, that they've swerved from the truth. Uh, they still believe in the gospel, but they believe something different than us on baptism. So that makes it very difficult for us to worship together if we don't believe the same thing on baptism. So that's one reason why there are different churches, different denominations. Uh, there are some of these beliefs that, that make it really impossible for us to worship together. So that's the second level. And the third level is what I would call essential beliefs. Some would say orthodox beliefs, beliefs that are essential to the Christian faith and are connected really to the gospel. For example, one of these beliefs would be the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is God, God the Son who came into this world and became a man, God and man. And if you don't believe that, then you really don't understand the gospel. You know, there are people who talk about Jesus being the Son of God and how you are to put faith in him to be saved. But when they talk about Jesus, they talk about really a different understanding of, of Jesus. You can think of groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons who, who don't really believe in the deed of Jesus. They believe he was a created being, not the creator. And so uh, these, this is an essential belief, and there are other essential beliefs. Uh, and so if someone does not believe in the deity of Jesus, then I would say they have swerved from the truth. And so this is, is something that is an essential belief. It is vitally connected to a proper understanding of the gospel. So what were these two men teaching, Hymenaeus and Philetus? You can look at verse 18. They've swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. And notice what Paul says, they are upsetting the faith of some. So this was a, a very serious thing, upsetting the faith of some. They were, they were teaching something wrong about the resurrection. Not the resurrection of Jesus, though that's connected. It was about the resurrection, the future resurrection of believers. But they were saying that this resurrection had already happened. And, and if you look at some of Paul's other letters, it seems that there was some confusion in the first century regarding the resurrection of believers, you know, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says, because we believe that, that Jesus died and rose again, we also believe that we too, one day, when he returns, will be raised. 
uh, with new bodies and all of that. But in 1 Corinthians 4, which leads to Paul saying that, he talks about how, how some thought that those who had already died would, would miss the resurrection uh, because, you know, they had heard it taught that, well, Jesus is coming, could come at any time, and so they were expecting him to come, you know, any day, really, uh, in a short time. Of course, that didn't happen. First Corinthians 15, some were saying that there was no resurrection of believers. Uh, so there was some confusion, and there could have been some confusion as well based on some of Paul's writings, how he talks about being raised with Christ and all of that, and they could have interpreted it in a wrong way and spiritualized, really, the resurrection to think that it had already happened. Maybe that's what was happening or being taught in uh, Ephesus in Timothy's day. Either way, they were teaching something very wrong about the resurrection of believers. And getting the resurrection wrong is a big deal because really the resurrection is our hope. We're looking for this future event when Christ returns. And so if we say it has already happened, then we're really missing a big part of the gospel, the good news. And so this was something that was a serious matter. It was upsetting the faith of some. It was wrong teaching connected with a proper understanding of the gospel. If we get the resurrection wrong, we get the gospel wrong. So, truth matters. Secondly, if we were going to write that list, what would be at the top of the list of things that should matter to us as a church? Well, the second thing that should matter most to us is people. People matter. And you might be thinking, well, shouldn't God be at the top of the list? Well, obviously, we're doing all of this for the glory of God. But thinking about our responsibilities to, to glorify God and do what he says, truth matters. We need to uphold the truth, rightly handle the word of truth, and also people matter. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. Now, in a great house, and the house here represents the church, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and for dishonorable so you might think of those for dishonorable use, uh, something like a, well, in our day, a garbage can. You know, uh, it's not as honorable as, as some other uh, vessel, like uh, a serving dish or something like that. Uh, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every Good work. So the vessels of honorable, for honorable use are people like Timothy, who are rightly handling the word of truth. And the vessels for dishonorable uh, use are people who are spreading false teaching in the church. Now, does this mean that, that uh, these people, these vessels for dishonorable use, does, does it mean that they don't matter? That they're worthless? Think about that. Verses 22 through 26. So flee youthful passions. Doesn't say exactly what he means by that, but it could involve being argumentative. Uh, youthful people seem to be maybe, I don't know if that's a general statement, but maybe when you're younger, you're a little more feisty and a little more argumentative. Timothy was younger than Paul. 
flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the, uh, on the Lord with a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversy. So again, something that's not as important as other things, especially the gospel. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant, who must not be quarrelsome, if you recall from 1 Timothy, one of the qualifications of an elder is that he not be quarrelsome. Uh, they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil or mistreatment. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So the Lord's servant is not to be quarrelsome, but what? Verse 24, kind to who? To everyone. And how is the Lord's servant supposed to correct his opponents? Verse 25, with gentleness. And this might be surprising to us. It's a little surprising to me that Paul would say this. Because you might be thinking, well, I thought we were, we were in a fight. A fight for the truth. A battle for the truth. And kindness, gentleness, these are not words you associate with a battle. But Paul says, you're to be kind to everyone. And even in your correction, you are to do it with gentleness. And even if it involves people that are, have swerved from the truth and are teaching things that are false, that might lead people astray. He even says, correct them with gentleness. So a little perhaps surprising to us. Now, why should we be kind and gentle? Well, we get the answer in the second part of verse 25 and verse 26. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So maybe they will eventually repent, turn from their sin. Verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So he's saying, be kind and gentle. You don't know what might happen, how the Lord might use your kindness and gentleness. Maybe they will come to repentance. Maybe they will come to their senses eventually. So our model, whether you're a church leader or not, our model for, for interacting with someone who is, who is teaching or believing something that is, that is false, that goes against the gospel, our model is not someone like Ben Shapiro you may have heard of him. You see those videos. Ben Shapiro destroys the argument of the atheist. Uh, you know, he's someone who's despised by those who disagree with him. And so I don't, want, I don't say that someone like that is our model. Now, if you share the truth, you know, it's likely that some people are not going to like you. But we don't go out of our way just to be annoying or arrogant or just looking to attack uh, the argument, and put down the person. So, it's probably not possible to, have, uh, to uphold the truth and have everybody like us. But at the same time, we're not to be arrogant. We're not to be uh, looking to destroy the person. 
rather than destroying the argument. So what Paul says here is we're to be kind and we're to be gentle. Again, words you don't usually associate with standing for the truth, upholding the truth. But that's what Paul tells Timothy to do. And this was a real dangerous situation for the church, that these men were, were spreading false teaching. But in that church, but even then, he says, be kind and be gentle. So what matters more, being right or being gentle? Well, it's a trick question, because Paul says both the truth and people matter. So we're to uphold the truth in a way that is glorifying to God, not watering down the truth, not compromising, uh, sticking to the truth of the gospel, but at the same time, uh, doing it in such a way that we're kind to everyone and gentle. We can't forget that the gospel exists because people matter to God. John 3.16, God so loved the world, that's everyone, that he gave his only son. And so it's not just the truth that matters, it's that people matter. We have this truth, the word of truth, the gospel, because people matter to God and they should matter to us like they matter to God. So we don't just uphold the truth to uphold the truth. The truth is for people. So both the truth and people matter to God and should matter to us. So let's not forget what matters most. The truth matters. The gospel matters. But the gospel is for people, people God loves. And so people also matter. And so what matters most matters most. We need to think about that always. What matters most? What should matter most to us? We can get so concerned about lesser things and forget what matters most. The truth matters and people matter. 